<laughs> oh goodness. All right, guys, we are going to be in First uh, John uh, chapter four today. Um, kind of been thinking and praying an awful lot about what to preach and and how to move forward. I told you guys made a confession a couple weeks ago about how I have never when I was an itinerant preacher or a traveling preacher, traveling evangelist, I never um, programmed what I was going to do. I never laid out anything and kind of just completely depended upon the Spirit. And then when I came here um, as a first-time pastor, you know, I wanted to look long-term. And not that it's bad to plan for long-term, but I found myself getting a little programmed, if you can go with that terminology um, and programs aren't bad and they're good in their rightful context they're a great thing but what I was doing and beginning to do and I had to repent of that was I was beginning to say instead of approaching God and saying Lord what would you speak this week or what would you preach to your people I was getting to the point where I was like okay God this is what I'm gonna teach now will you bless it will you teach this and I already had my outline laid out and so you know, God showed me grace in that for a little while, and then I felt like it, I was starting to get a slight rebuke from the Holy Spirit as I was starting to step into something I didn't need to step into, and becoming someone that just went by what they wanted to do, went by what they wanted to teach and what goals they wanted to have. And the whole time I was pushing towards a good direction, but as I was pushing towards a good direction, I was realizing I was pushing towards my idea of a good direction. Like, the church needs to learn these things. The church needs to know these things. And so I had an end goal, and I was doing everything I could to get to that end goal. But I wasn't really just sitting back and saying, okay, God, what would your end goal be? What would your next step be? And so I was kind of bleeding over a little bit into man effort. And what I mean by that is, Men can do a lot of good things, so much so that in Genesis, men were building a tower and God came down and confused their language so that they would realize you can't get to heaven by your own power. You can't get to heaven by your own ability because they were accomplishing great things. And it was almost like because of their unified effort, man was going to accomplish things that they weren't supposed to be able to accomplish. And so they would have accomplished things without God and they would have had the promise or the end result, but they wouldn't have had the presence. And so they would have been most miserable, if that makes sense. So men can do great things. Men can come into a community and build a church and cause it to grow and it be a mega church completely without the presence of God. It can have hundreds of people. It can have thousands of people and there be no God in it at all. The music can be great and loud and wonderful and there can be smoke machines and lights and everybody can come and have a grand old time and we can learn life applicable lessons that will help us be better people, but we will be completely without the presence of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, was literally taken away and the priest continued to do the day-to-day -day activities just as if the presence of God was still there. They didn't have the presence of God. They didn't have the Spirit of God, but they would continue to sacrifice the animals and put the blood where it needed to go and pretend that everything was cush and good and didn't even pay attention to the fact that the presence of God was no longer there. And one of my favorite preachers of all time, Leonard Ravenhill, he challenged the church and said, I wonder if the presence of God completely left, how many churches would actually notice? 
or how many churches would continue to carry on as business as usual. See, we get so caught up in our teachings and our programs and our events. Not that they're bad things, because they're not. They're good things. But good can be the enemy of great. Good can be the enemy of perfect. Because we can settle for good and realize and never realize that we're completely without the presence of God. And so the Lord kind of challenged me on that that I was settling for good. I was laying out my outlines. I had my teaching series and I was like, okay, all four or five of these messages in this series are going to work around to accomplish this common goal. But all four of those five of those or all five of those messages were Aaron putting an outline out and then asking God to bless what Aaron had done instead of sitting back and saying, God, why don't you tell me? Why don't you lead me? So the past couple of weeks, now with the children's dedication, you know, there's occasional moments where we want to put forth a teaching because there's information that needs to be known before we can do an event. But even with that, I just ask God, like, you, how would you do a children's dedication? How would you baptize? How would you do that? And so I tried to operate under that perspective other than, okay, this is all the information they need to know. Now, how do I convey it? Instead, I was like, God, what information do they need to know? What information do I need to put forth? And so for the past couple of weeks, I've really been putting forth an effort to say, okay, God, I'm just going to sit back. What would you do? What would you teach? What would you preach? What would you bring forth? And so my confession is this week, I didn't prepare anything at all. I waited on God. And it took me all the way until Friday night to realize what I actually needed to preach about. And so I want to, before we get into the passage, I'm going to preach this a little bit different. Instead of having a passage and doing an exposition, I just want to have a conversation with you guys for a little while. I hope that's okay. I just want to talk to you guys and get completely authentic because I've been putting forth this conversation or this phrase consistently like, aim for authenticity. Be a Christian. Just be a Christian. Be a real Christian. Don't pretend that you're good when you're bad. Don't pretend you're having a great day when you're having a terrible one because those are all lies. Don't pretend that you're doing or being something that you're not. Just be real. Let's just be authentic because the world can respond to authentic. When they see somebody that's having a horrible time and can admit that they're having a horrible time, but still has a peace even in the midst of that, the world can respond to that. So I've been saying, be real. Be authentic. Aim for that authenticity. Be a real Christian. And so I can't tell you guys to do that unless I'm willing to do that myself. I can't keep saying, hey, you guys be authentic unless I'm willing to be authentic myself. So I'm going to be real. I've had the worst week of my life this week. Pretty close to it. I've had a terrible week, not just because of physical things that happened, although that's included. On Monday, my daughter bit a chunk out of the window seal and her teeth were gone. They were gone. They were pointed so far up that we were searching for her teeth. And blood was coming out and I had to hold her like this in my arm and drive to the emergency room in the front seat. Didn't even, couldn't even put her in her car seat because so much blood was coming out. And she was hysterical and Faith was panicking, looking for the teeth in the bedroom while I was on the way to the emergency room. And then I realized that her teeth were still in her mouth, but they were pushed so far up. And they looked at her mouth and by the grace of God, she didn't have any laceration. She didn't need stitches. The dentist said that there's a small possibility that the tooth will reset. So we're praying that she doesn't even lose her teeth. But I tell you this, when it first happened, her teeth were pointing up. 
but now they're pointing down. And one's in place, but the other one is slowly working its way back down, and we're just praying that that goes back into place as well. But that's how my week started off on Monday. I was at the emergency room, and then I was at the dentist, and then I was at home reeling and watching my daughter run around and trying to make sure that Faith wasn't going to have a nervous breakdown. (laughs) But that's how it started off. And then Tuesday, you know, I decided that I wasn't going to do any office hours this week. I wasn't going to come to the church. I was just going to be and make sure that nothing happened because I knew that if, you know, some crazy event happened or if Claire re-injured that, that Faith wouldn't be able to get them in the car and go to the emergency room herself. So I just wanted to stay close by. Um, But then attacks started coming, spiritual attacks. See, we had the physical accident or attack or whatever you want to label that with my daughter. But then spiritual attacks started coming, you know, like you weren't watching them close enough. You're not a good enough father. Faith is sitting there being attacked. You're not a good enough mother. And those attacks started reeling in your mind. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I study the word every day. Yes, I pray all the time. Yes, faith does the same, but we are just as subject to attacks of the enemy as you guys are. It's not an attack that you experience and no one else experiences. Everybody experiences attack. Everybody gets told they're not good enough. Everybody gets told you fail. You're terrible. You're awful. Like the enemy comes at you. And sometimes if that's not working, the enemy will start doing this. You're so good. Ain't nobody do it like you do. (laughs) And then it starts going on the other side. But regardless of how the attack comes, attacks come. And so I started reeling with these attacks. And then we went out on Wednesday. Um, We took a couple out because they had done so much effort for the church, for the festival. I mean, literally, they did a lot of work, and we wanted to bless them um, and just take them out and celebrate them for a minute. And we got sick on the dog afterwards. Uh, the whole family did. And I don't think it was the food. I think it was a 24-hour stomach bug, but it was terrible. So we had the incident with Claire, and then we had the stomach bug, and we had these mental attacks coming on. And then Thursday, we went out to, you know, we got invited to go to the aquarium in New Orleans, and there was a wreck on the interstate, so we got off, and we had to go through downtown through the French Quarter, which was a mistake driving through there because people are crazy and all that construction, and you're just all these back roads, and it's just, it was terrible, you know. And Faith was having an anxiety attack because all the traffic and we're on a single road and there's construction on both sides and a little bike just shoots over in front and you almost take a guy off his bike. And then a big, you know, taxi comes around driving through parking spaces half on the sidewalk to pass us on this single lane road. And Faith is having an anxiety attack and it's just, but then we go to the aquarium and that's the day my son chooses to have the worst breakdowns that he's ever had, just having meltdowns in the aquarium, screaming, punching himself, punching us, kicking, swinging. I mean, it was just, it was a great time. We really enjoyed it, but his meltdowns were awful. And then my real hit came on Friday when I actually started listening to some voices in my head. And like I said, I'm, I'm a pastor and I usually do pretty good you know, just go to the, the Word, and I usually am just capable of when the enemy attacks, I can just throw a Bible verse out. Usually I'm very, very successful with that. But this, but Friday morning, it got me. And the whole time, I'm just going to make a confession. You know, when you're being attacked and you're having a bad week, you know that you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed every morning. It's just a bad week. You're a little bit grumpy. And so Faith had been doing that, and I had been doing that even more so. So we were a little bit grumpy. Not that we broke out into any huge arguments or anything. We just had some intense fellowship a couple times where it's just bickering at each other, and it's just it's just an intense week. 
But Friday comes around, and some of my biggest fears start playing on my mind. And that's why I want to go to this passage. And I just really want to share my heart this morning. Something that helped me. There's a difference. See, the Bible is identified as a Greek word. It's called logos or logos. If you want to logos, logos, whatever. She says logos, I say logos. You say tomato, I say tomato. Anyway, it's probably logos. She's probably right and I'm probably wrong. But this is the written word. That's what it's called. It's the written word. But there's another word that they use and it's called rhema. And it's a spoken word. It's an inspired word. It's a God-breathed word. And sometimes the Bible is perfect, but I'm not. And so sometimes the enemy comes and I can't give him a written word because that written word is not doing it for me. Not that the written word is inadequate because it's perfect, but I'm inadequate to apply that the way that I need to. I'm inadequate to take that written word and say that this is enough, even though it is. I have to have something more. And so God sometimes breathes through his word and that written word comes alive and breathes into me. And that's enough to take care of the attack of the enemy. Well, I experienced all day, all week and then all day Friday dealing with my biggest fear and written words weren't enough. Friends, people talking to me wasn't enough. I had to have a word from God. And I, that's what I want to share my heart with. That's what I want to share to you guys is what God shared with me. And maybe it helped me. Maybe it can help you. So 1 John 4, 8, not 4, 8, 4, 18, I'm sorry. 4, 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been made perfect in love or has not been perfected in love. Now I want to share this to you. That is a promise of God. However, I am not perfect. God's working on me still, so I still have fears. I still have things that terrify me. And I'm not talking about silly fears like the boogeyman or the monster in the closet or things like that. I'm not even talking about the fear of death or anything like that. I have fears that are somewhere deeper rooted inside. Now, speaking of fear, we can think about fears sometimes. You know, you're scared of snakes or you're scared of bugs. Like my wife, for example, scared of bugs. I've got to share this story with you. We go to the aquarium, and then after the aquarium, we go to the insectarium. She's going to punch me after this. She's going to punch me. So watch, because you may experience domestic abuse up here. I'm just kidding. But we go to the insectarium after the aquarium, and Faith is terrified of bugs. So I was so excited for this, because it's a whole exhibit dedicated to bugs, live bugs. They even make, like, cricket cookies. And... Yeah, I gave our kids cricket cookies, and I ate one too. I tried to get. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. But anyway, um, so we go through this exhibit, and they have a section in there where it's a theater, and you go in and you sit down on these seats, and it plays a insect talent show. It's like a cartoon on the screen, and it has like the biggest bug and the runner-up and the fastest attack or whatever in the runner-up well anyway the moth lands on the screen and it's just sitting there talking all the bugs backstage are excited and it says i bet oh here they come now and your seat starts bumping like bugs are running underneath your seat i tell you what Faith won the prize for the fastest moving object because she screamed and jetted across that, across that auditorium. And 
I've never seen anything move so fast in my life. And she stood there. She would not sit back down. And it was kind of creepy because, you know, one bug sprays and the stink bug, you, the whole room smells bad. And then it, like, one bug gets squished and it, like, sprinkles water from the ceiling. It was really, and Faith just, she was having a great time. But, and then I have a confession to make. I, I was a bad husband that night because as I went, we got the kids a little you know, a little toy from the gift shop. And as I went up there to pay, Faith was on the other side of the gift shop and they had a jar there and it had little roaches. They were like the tree roaches and they looked real. And I was like, how much are those? And they were like 50 cents. And I was like, I gotta get one of those. So I got it and I stuck it in my pocket. And um, when we got home, you know, the kids, we got them taken care of and we was getting ready to put them to bed. And Faith has her tumbler with the lid and the straw. And so she turned around, I just set it on top of her tumbler. Bad mistake, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but the, the point that I'm making is we have these fears. And you know, I, I don't really like heights. You know, when we took the sign down on the roof, getting up there, you know, the heights makes you nervous. You just don't like it. And some people have different little fears. You know, you're scared of the dark, whatever. We have these fears. And when you talk about them in a setting like this, they're kind of silly. But when you're in the moment, they're not silly. That's not the fears I'm talking about. Yeah, they're there. Some people are scared of snakes. They run away. You know, my stepmom's scared of frogs, whatever. Like, those are fears. And they're legitimate fears because we don't like them. But that's not what I'm talking about something that goes so much deeper. Everybody has like your deepest, darkest fear, like a fear that you wouldn't share with anybody just because you're that you're that unwilling to acknowledge that it's there. But I'm going to share mine with you. My deepest fear is to fail. I am terrified of failure. In any sense, I cannot stand the thought of failing. And my deepest fear is that I fail to be pleasing to God. That is my all-time deepest fear. I am terrified of the fact that I will be displeasing to God. That Not that I won't go to heaven, but that I'll get into heaven and it'll be like I just got in by the skin of my teeth. You know, because of Christ I got in. But my reward, when they give out the rewards, when the judgment seat of Christ, and you're standing before Him, that all of my works, all of my labors, labors are just consumed by fire, and I'm standing there, and yes, I'm saved, but I have no reward because everything that I've done has been of me, and none of it's been of God, and I'm displeasing to Him. That is my biggest fear. And it's tied in with this fear of not ever doing anything worthy of remembrance. I study church history. I look at people in the Bible. I think about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Solomon and all of these people, Peter, Paul, John, all of these people and the amazing things that they did. And then I think about throughout church history, people like Martin Luther and Augustine and Calvin and Finney and Leonard Ravenhill and A.W. Tozer and A.B. Simpson, if you want to get more alliance specific. But I think about these people and literally they changed things to where people are writing biographies about them, to where they're remembered long after they're gone because they did something that has a lasting impact. And my fear of being displeasing to God is coupled with this fear that I'll never Never do anything that's worthy of remembrance. That I'll never do anything, not that, not that I'm trying to get people to remember me from a prideful sense, but that I'll never do anything that has any value to it that exceeds my lifetime, if that makes sense. Those are my biggest fears. And a very, very close second is a fear that people will look at me and they'll see that I'm not 
who they think I am. And what I mean by that is I think everybody, to some degree or another, you have the you that everybody sees, but in your mind and in your heart, you have the you that nobody sees. That's just between you and God. That even your spouse don't see. That even your relatives don't see. And you're terrified that one day somebody will wake up and open their eyes and they'll see the you that's behind the veil. The you that's behind the flesh. The you that they aren't privy to already. And it's a terrifying, crippling fear when you think about the possibility that somebody will see something about you that you don't want them to see. And Friday, when I'm dealing with this, because I'm a pastor for the first time, I'm going through the process of ordination under a denomination the first time, and all of the stuff that's been happening at the church has been so amazing. You know, we're seeing people saved consistently, we're baptizing people, we're seeing people healed, we're seeing awesome things happen. And the people in our district and in our denomination are cheering us on like, man, it is awesome. God is doing something and we are so excited for the future. And it terrifies me that one day everybody's going to wake up and be like, there is nothing special about Aaron. And the truth is there's not. The truth is, is there's nothing special about Aaron. I'll be the first to tell you. There's nothing special about my work ethic, although I do try to work seven days a week. You can ask faith. I try my best to always labor, to always work, to always be reading, to always be studying, to always be praying, sometimes to the point of annoyance to everybody around me. I try to always be doing that, always be worthy of the vocation for which I'm called. I try to always do that. So I'm not talking about gross sin, like I'm doing something terrible because I'm not, but I'm just talking about one day this fear that everybody will open their eyes and be like, Wow, why did we ever let him pastor? Why did we ever consider ordaining him? Why did, for faith, why did I ever marry him? For my kids, like, I wish that I had a different, fa- like, things like that, that one day people will open their eyes and be like, man, is this really the person who I've been following all this time? For everybody here to open your eyes and be like, is this really the person that I call my pastor? Like, this is a fear of mine. And it may sound silly, me conveying it from up here. It may sound like it's unfounded, and probably it is. But when you keep that inside of you, when you have that deep down, and you don't ever share what's on the inside with you, you don't ever let the light on it because you keep it in a dark corridor inside your your soul, some dark alleyway where everybody can see the rest of the quote-unquote city that is you, but this one alley, you're like, no, you can't see there. You can't go there. And so the enemy, he finds that alleyway inside your soul. He finds that dark, hidden refuge that no light has ever been shown on it. And that's where he starts to pry and starts to pick. And so all the stuff that had happened, you know, whether you're an anxious person or not, whether you're a stressed out person or not, whether you're typically typically easygoing or not, because I'm typically a pretty easygoing person, Your mind can only take so much before it finally gets to the point of, I'm just done. I'm checked out for a day or so. And by Thursday, I was like, I'm checked out for a day or so. And then, you know, our little reprieve, we thought we was going to, you know, have no problems. And then Asher and his meltdown, which wasn't his fault. He's just, he's a three-year-old. He doesn't know how to express his emotions. So I'm not beating up on my son. But that just added to it and so finally there was the camel's back was broken and there was a big straw stack you couldn't even see the camel anymore and by friday the enemy started messing with my mind and those fears started just coming up 
and you hear this, it's almost like you hear like this audible whisper in your ear. It's like, man, now they're really going to see. Because of what you said, you know, you raised your voice when you were having that conversation with your wife. You know, you yelled at your children when you really shouldn't have. You know, you snapped because Asher just wanted to draw a picture because Claire just wanted you to put the blanket on her like a cape. You snapped at them. You know, this or that or this or that. Like, and Oh, and you just preached on being good to your kids and you've been a little bit impatient with them this week. And those fears start crippling. Like, really? You haven't accomplished? You didn't go to the church at all this week? You haven't really accomplished that much? What if Phil or Dwayne or Sean found out what your work ethic really looked like this week? How pleased would they be with you? What if your church found out that you didn't take several hours to prepare a message for this Sunday? Like these, these fears that don't even sound rational just kept churning. Just keep churning. And I know that everybody here, you've had those moments where you've just been pushed to your max. And then whatever your deep, dark alleyway is, it just starts churning. It just starts churning. And you're just at a loss. And so Friday night, I literally, I was just done. And I couldn't take it. I was just checked out. Like I finally, I walked in and I just told Faith, I said, look, I said, I just need an hour or so. I just need to get away for a minute. I just need to go in here. I'm going to take a long shower, um, shave because I look like I'm homeless. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take like an hour for myself maybe and crack open a bottle. I'm just going to take a minute. And so I go and Faith, you know, being the awesome wife that she was, realized that something was wrong with me. Even if I hadn't said anything, she realized something was wrong with me. So she follows me to the bedroom, you know, and she just she just says, look. And I don't remember the whole conversation, but the one thing I do remember, she said, look, I sometimes get to the place with anxiety and stuff like that to where I, I literally can't take another step and I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, literally in those moments, all I can do is just say, God, please be my strength. Be my next step. Be my next breath. Please just be my strength for me because I don't have anything else to pray. And so, you know, I, I took her advice. She walked away and let me have my time. And, you know, I I turned on, you know, I don't know how many of you guys use YouTube or the little YouTube music app, but typically on YouTube you have a playlist and you just hit play and it plays the songs in the same order, right? It, I mean, you can like hit the shuffle button, but if you hit play on your playlist, it just cycles through the songs in the same order. Well, I have Shane and Shane's my favorite band, and I just hit play on their hymns playlist, and it's just them redoing a lot of great hymns, and it's beautiful. But typically, it starts out and it play you know plays songs like "Is He Worthy" and da 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 da, and it never plays the song that it started out playing. And I don't know if maybe I accidentally hit the shuffle button. I'm not over-spiritualizing this or anything. But when I hit play, as I was getting ready to get in the shower, it started playing How Great Thou Art. I hadn't heard that song in a long time. But it just started playing How Great Thou Art. And I don't, I don't know. I'm going to share with you guys step by step what happened to me because I got my rhema word. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in an almost audible sense. And it changed everything that I was dealing with. And I felt relief and I felt freshness and I felt hope. And the week of attack 
You know, it wasn't a Job experience. It wasn't years. It wasn't an Abraham experience. It wasn't years. It was a week. But it was a week of hell. And sometimes it can be a day. Sometimes it can be a couple hours. But sometimes you get in this place where, you know, Anne of Green Gables, I'm in the depths of despair. Like sometimes you get to this place and it's like there's no hope. And it doesn't matter if it's been 10 years or 5 minutes. It's like, God, will it ever end? And that's where I was at. I was like, God, is this week going to end because I need something different? And it was terrible because we had a great Sunday. We got seven children dedicated. We baptized eight people. We seen a couple people rededicate, give their life to the Lord. And that is awesome. And then immediately after, I experienced a week from hell. And I can't even reach back to the past Sunday because I need something for right now. Like, yeah, that was good, but I need something that's going to help me right this minute. I needed God to intervene in my situation. And so how great thou art started playing. And this is how it goes. You know, they have the long intro. O oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I want to skip down. Because I want to read this verse. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow with humble adoration and proclaim, my God, how great thou art. I cry when I pray. I'm not too masculine to say, oh, I never cry. No, I do. When I pray, I cry. I've cried praying for some of you. But... There's a difference, and you guys will know what I mean. There's a difference when you cry, you have tears rolling down your cheek because a song is just that beautiful, because you see a moment, you a tear rolls down your cheek at a wedding, and it's just a beautiful moment, and so you cry. But then there's moments where you just, for lack of a better expression, you just boo-hoo, you just weep. You just start, you look ugly, you ugly cry. Is that is that what it's called? You ugly cry. Well, I'm just, I, I'm man enough to say and confident enough in who I am to say that I started ugly crying. And I don't know exactly what word it was that hit me or what happened, but just simply reveling in the fact that my God is great. And He's not just great. He's great to where our English language, the Hebrew language, the Greek language, like there's not words enough to sum up how great He is. All we can say is, yeah, you're great. You're greater than great. Like we don't have a word good enough, so we're just going to take this word and we're going to extend it to the max and say, this is what you are. You're above what our language can do. You're that far above. You're that high. You're that good. You're that sovereign. You're that great. You're that holy. You're that worthy. And there was something about that moment when I just realized my God is still in control. My God is still sovereign. What I was experiencing that week, looking back on it and trying to tell everybody what happened that week, it sounds stupid. I could go over to China where they're having their heads cut off or into India or Libya or anywhere where they're actually being authentically killed and martyred for the faith. And I could share with them my bad week and they would chuckle at me like, oh, you're bad week. Well, we were held at gunpoint and then we were arrested and thrown in jail and tortured and we were released only if we promised to never worship Christ again. Like, no, that's a bad time. What I was experiencing was a spiritual attack that was amplified in my mind. 
It wasn't authentic bad. But sometimes we are so weak. And I'm, I mean, that's just honest, especially in America. We are so weak by our blessings, by our material provisions, by the fact that we have homes, we have cars, we have food, we have things like we are allowed right now in this country to freely gather on a Sunday and worship God. So when we experience a quote-unquote attack spiritually, yeah, it's big to us, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that big. Like we're not at risk of having somebody come in here and kill us all because we're Christians. I mean, now granted, I know that there's some crazy events that have been happening around the U.S., but typically that's not something that's the normal. And there are countries in this world right now where our districts, especially being a part of denomination, they won't even tell you the names of the missionaries in certain countries because they're called creative access countries where they will be killed if they're found out that they're Christians. They can't even go out and preach the gospel. They have to do it underground in secret for risk of losing their life. But yet, what I had as a bad week was a big deal to me. It was a big deal to me. And I was just at a loss. But then when it was put in perspective next to the grandeur of my God, it was really illuminated how small it really was. And sometimes we're all the time, and this might sound a little bit cliche, but we're all the time running around and we're telling God how big our problem is. We're telling God how big and bad our struggle is. We're telling God how awful our situation is when we really just need to stop and tell ourselves so that we can address our situation how great our God is. And so at some point in hearing this hymn play through YouTube while I'm in the shower, I'm boohooing because I'm realizing I've been kind of pathetic this week. I've allowed situations that don't have any eternal weight or impact. My daughter's not going to have any permanent damage. Our stomach bug didn't permanently cripple us. There's nothing that went on that's going to eternally affect me. And yet I allowed that minute week to cripple me and to put me where I can't even function until God intervened. But I hear this song about how great our God is and I realize... I'm being pretty weak right now. So why don't I allow God to be my strength? And Paul says it this way. He says, when I'm weak, then I am strong because it's Christ in me. It's Christ who is my strength. And His strength is made perfect in my weakness. So we allow ourselves. That's why I've been pushing. Just be authentic. Be where you're at. Tell somebody. Share it. Shine light on it so that way you don't suffer longer than you have to. And it wasn't until I was willing to open up my mouth and confess to my wife who should know everything anyway what I'm actually dealing with that God actually stepped in and said, okay, now I'm going to fix this. I had to open up my mouth and share with her. She gave me a word and then God began to move. But I bet... And I'd be willing to venture a guess that if I would not have opened my mouth, if I would have kept that shut in, that I'd be in a bad mood today. I'd be preaching some ritualistic programmed sermon and not able to share with you an actual move of God in my life because I still hadn't had it. And then I'd leave here and for the next several hours before evening service, I'd still be d depressed and in despair. And it'd go on until I finally got the common sense to get up, to get over it, and to share it and be authentic. 
And so I'm telling you guys, whatever you're dealing with, wherever you're at, just get up, dust yourself off, share it, be authentic to where you're at right now, and let's move forward. Let's move forward. I think right now, and I don't have this, it's not part of it, but I, my mind's brought back to four lepers. Now, there was an army and it had siege around the city. They were starving them out. So the people in the city were starving to death. And lepers had a disease, a skin disease, that you caught by contact. So they weren't allowed to go in the city. And the leper camp, they were dying. And so these four lepers are sitting at the entrance of the city. And they're like, okay, we're surrounded by an army. The army has food. The city, if we go in there, we're going to starve to death. There's nothing in there for us. They may kill us because we're lepers and we're violating our position. If we go to the leper colony, we're going to die. If we sit right here, we're going to die. If we go to the opposing army, we're probably going to die. But if we go to the opposing army, we're probably, there's the possibility, even though it's minute, there's the possibility that we'll survive because there's food there. So we can either sit and die, we can go to two of these other options and die, or we can go to the only hope. And when they go to the enemy camp, God had already killed all the enemy. They had left all their stuff. And so the lepers looted the whole camp and then they took the gold and they took it into the city and shared it with the king. And it was awesome. But the point is, is they got up, they dusted themselves off and they made a move. Now, wherever you're at, you can sit in your dark alley that you're hiding from everybody in that despair, in that depression, in that weight, in that gloom. Or you can get up, you can shine some light on it, share where you're at and let God move. Let people help you. We're stronger together. Iron sharpens iron. Shine light on your situation. Shine light where you're at. Let your fellow believers sharpen you, help you, pray for you, talk to you, encourage you. And then God might and will move in that situation and you'll be able to breathe a sigh of relief because there's no more dark alleys. Our goal is to expose those dark alleys, to realize that we're not perfect. I know you're not perfect. I don't know what your dark alley is to keep that paradigm, but you have one. Everybody does. Everybody has that dark part of themselves that they don't want to share with anybody else. Whatever it is, everybody has one. Let's shine some light on it. Let's expose it and let God heal it. So after I was listening to this song, a verse came to my mind. Hebrews 11.6. You can write it down. And it just, it says this, it's the, the Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith. It just, it starts out, you know, by faith, the worlds were formed, you know, by faith, the elders, those that went before us received a good report. And then it talks about Abel's faith that he offered a better sacrifice than Cain. And even though he's dead, his faith still speaks. And then it gets into Enoch and it talks about Enoch and it says that he walked with God and it says that he, it was found that he pleased God. And therefore, God took him. And he, he was not. He actually walked with God right into heaven because his faith was so pleasing to God. But then right after that, it says a verse that just caught my attention. As I'm in the shower, I'm not in front of my Bible. I'm in the shower listening to this hymn. And this verse just comes out. And it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those that come to God must first believe that He is, that He exists, and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And so I realized something right there in that moment. And it's something that I've known. It's something that I might forget again because I'm human. But I realized 
that sometimes we get a misconception of God in our mind. Sometimes we focus on one aspect of God over the other. And we don't realize that God is complete and He is unified and He is perfect. So sometimes we'll focus on God's severity so much that we dig ourselves into a hole and realize, how could I ever please such a just God? How could I ever please such a wrathful, vengeful God? Or we'll get so far on the other side, God is loving, so I can do whatever I want. We don't realize that He's complete across the board. And for me in this moment, I, my biggest fear as being displeasing to God, I was stuck so far over here at the severity and the vastness and the greatness of our God that I was stuck in this pit. And I was like, there's no way, nothing that I ever do would be good enough to please God. And that's absolutely true. However, God has set it up through Christ Jesus that we might please God in Christ. That when God looks at us, He sees Jesus, and that's what I want to labor. That's the point that I want to labor here. So when I looked at Hebrews eleven six, 6, I realized it's two parts. The first is faith, simple faith. But the second part is that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. He rewards us for our pursuit of Him. He rewards us for our actions, for our works, for our labors for God. He rewards us. And so here I am, I'm like, God, how could I ever please you? I'm afraid that all my works are going to be consumed, that I'm going to stand before you with nothing as no one, and I'm going to be displeasing to you. Yeah, I might make it into heaven, but I'm not going to have any reward when I get there. How am I going to stand next to people like John Wesley or uh, Finney or these other awesome men of God like William Booth and these people that literally turned the world upside down? How am I going to stand next to Paul? And think that I'm anything. And then I just look. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. See, Ravenhill, and I quoted him once already, he said that I could go out right now and I could win 1,000 people to the Lord every single day for the rest of my life and still be displeasing to God. Because those are outer court works. Those are things that are in the outer court that are actions. But God calls us as a people to minister to Him. It doesn't say God is a rewarder of those that diligently do all these actions. It says God's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That diligently pursue Him. That diligently desire Him. That diligently fixate their vision on Him. That realize, okay God, yeah, there's works. And I want to do the works, but I want You more than the works. It's not joy. It's not blessing. It's not favor. It's not any of that. I want You, God, and You alone. I want to have an intimate relationship with You. That's what He rewards, first and foremost. Yeah, you'll get rewards for stewardship and all of that, but it specifies He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. How many people here can tell me one thing that Enoch did in his lifetime that's undoubtable that it was the original Enoch? That's unarguable, that's undebatable, that it was actually something that Enoch did. The only thing that we know for certain Book of Enoch aside, Jude's reference to that aside, the only thing that we know of absolute certainty, biblical certainty that Enoch did was that he walked with God. That's it. He walked with God. And so the thing that stuck in my mind was that it's this pursuit of his person, not what he can give you. Not what He can bless you with. Not what He can grant you. Not the provision. Not the protection. Not the preservation. Not the goods, the blessings, the gifts. None of, no, the actual person of God. And then this is the rhema word that I got. See, all of this is just stuff that's playing in my mind. But the rhema word that I got 
is Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And I don't usually make you guys turn, but I want you to turn here. Because I want you to see. And everybody that's got the ESV or the NIV, it probably says it something similar. This is about the baptism of Jesus. And the Luke's account is special in this sense. And it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on Him, on Christ, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Listen to this. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. A lot of the versions, the other accounts of the Gospels, they say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But the word that I heard in my spirit as I was in the shower, I wasn't looking. I heard you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that word Son, we've talked about this before in the Greek, it's, that word can actually be interchangeable both ways. We know that He's talking to Jesus in this sense, but understand that you can apply this to yourself and say, I am His beloved daughter in whom I, He is well pleased. I am His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased. And the reason that we can do that, and the verse that capped off this moment that I had with God as I was standing, weeping my eyes out, was this simple verse, Jeremiah 29.11. It's so cliche, it's used all the time. But it says this, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thus saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And yes, it was to the Jewish nation about Babylonian captivity. But you can take that promise because you are Israel spiritually and you can apply that to yourself and you can say this, I know the thoughts that God thinks towards me. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Understand that without Christ, we were evil. Christ is the Prince of Peace. So when God looks at you, He's not thinking about the evil that you were if you're saved and if you're converted as a Christian. He's thinking about the peace that Christ is. So when God looks at you and He sees peace, then He can finish the verse and say, and to give you an expected end, which is hope of the glory that is in Christ Jesus, which is eternal life, which was waiting for us in heaven, which is the glory that lasts forever and ever and ever, which is the pleasure of God when He looks towards us because when He looks at us, He doesn't see the evil that we were. He sees the peace that Christ is. So in Christ, we are pleasing to God. All we have to have is faith in God. All we have to have is faith in God. And yes, that faith will produce wonderful works. And yes, I'm not saying that we don't need those works. But what I'm saying is very, very simple. The works don't do it. The faith and the trust in Christ does. This is not about working and earning your way to heaven. This is about loving and seeking a God who has made the way for you. So in conclusion, whatever your fear may be, whatever your trouble may be, whatever your deep dark alley that you hide from everybody else may be, Whatever it is, the same process can work for you. Number one, God is in control. How great thou art. God's sovereign. He reigns over everything. Creator of the universe. He still has power in it. Number two, God rewards our faith and our seeking Him directly. Our faith and our pursuit of His person. Number three, God will deliver us for Christ's sake. Whatever it is, God will deliver us because He delights in us. And He delights in us because His Son. And number four, and this is the big one, 
In the Old Testament, there's an account of three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And the king of Babylon changed their names to what you might know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they would not worship the statue that Nebuchadnezzar put up. So he had them taken. He heated up a furnace, had it heated up seven times hotter than normal, so much so that the guys that threw them into the furnace were actually killed by the fire. But they were thrown into the furnace. Before they were thrown in, they said this to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you. Even if he doesn't. And so the last point is, even if your temporary affliction doesn't get fixed, God is still God and He still deserves your worship and your praise. Even if your temporary situation does not get fixed into the viewpoint that you would like to see it fixed in, God is still God and He still deserves your worship and your praise. Why? Because He created you. He made a way that that affliction is only temporary. There will come a day when death will deliver you from that affliction. You may have to wait till death. Because I'm not saying that every time you pray, you're going to be delivered. I'm not saying that that affliction is only for a moment. It may be for years. I'm not saying that there's an end every time. But what I am saying is even when your situation lasts the length of your life, God is still God and He still deserves your worship and your praise. He made a way to where you could experience an eternity of bliss. You could experience an eternity of peace. You could experience an eternity of blessing, love, favor forever. Yes, healing is available. But it's only a glimpse of the healing that's permanent. Everyone that's ever been healed still went on to die. Even those people throughout the Bible that were raised from the dead with the exception of Christ Himself went on to die. Death is something that we all must face. Affliction is something that we all must face. Trial, testing, tribulation, we all are going to face that. But Christ is the hope of glory even in the midst of that. And if we will just continually worship God regardless of our situation, He's still good. And your affliction may suck, but it's working a better hope in you. Paul says this, he says, I am convinced that our momentary affliction isn't even worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us. And you ain't experienced nothing like what Paul experienced. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was cursed. He was near starving. He about froze to death. He was thrown in Roman prisons where there's rats eating his foot and just terrible sitting in piles of feces. I mean, the list goes on and on with what Paul endured. But he still looked at all those afflictions and in the middle of jail not knowing if he's going to be put to death or not, he can still break out at midnight in song and praise. The Hebrew boys, not knowing if they're going to be put to death, literally facing a pit of fire, still said, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your God. We're not going to worship you. We're still going to worship our God. Regardless of your situation, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what your deep dark alley is, God is still God. Open yourself up. Allow the light to come in. Reveal that alley. Let's get you help. But even if that affliction doesn't get fixed immediately, God is still good and He still deserves and demands your worship and praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright. Everybody?
Let's take just a second. I want to offer this because I know, I know what it's like to be literally hopeless. Not just talking about this past week, yeah, it sucked, and I literally was hopeless on Friday. I was wallowing in my misery. But even before that, before I became a Christian, how many times I literally just sat when the world thought I was some gangster, drug dealer, etc., etc., and they thought I was so bad, blah, all that mess. I literally sat alone and cried. Even in the midst of all that, the party and everything, there was numerous times where I sat alone and cried because I not only hated everyone, but I hated myself. I hated living. I hated the fact that I'd ever been born. So I'm not just talking about this past week where I had a bad week and I was in the despair on Friday. I'm talking about I know what it is to not have any hope at all. Not even being able to refer to the Bible as your hope because you're not even there. You don't even know the Word of God. You're just hopeless. And I know some of you experiencing Katrina and others experiencing medical conditions, you know what it is to not know what's coming next and to be hopeless. But what I'm telling you is regardless of all of that mess, regardless of all that despair, there is a hope that is in Christ. And it stays. It's a permanent hope. It's a fixated hope. It's a fastened hope. It's a hope that you can hang your hat on. And Jesus says, He says, all of you who are weary, who are just tired of being hopeless, who are just tired of hurting, and all of you who are heavy laden, you've got that deep dark alley and it's burdening you down. It's weighing you down because you don't want anyone to see it. It's resting on you and it's about to smother you. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, you can come to Jesus freely and He will deliver you. He will give you rest. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment. You can close your eyes. You can pray. You can do whatever you need to do. But we're going to take a moment and anyone who is just fed up, who is just tired, who is just hurting, who is just burdened, who has a deep, dark alley that they don't want to share with anyone. Anyone, come forward and we're going to pray for you. We're going to see you get out of your trouble. We're going to see you get out of this alley. We're going to see you get out of this despair. We're going to see your deliverance. Because God delights in you for the sake of Christ Jesus. And He's willing to deliver you if you will only ask Him. So just taking a moment, not going to labor the point, but if anyone wants prayer, come forward now.